Hi, my name is Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phelan McAleer. And welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop. It is week 81. That is one year and seven months and one week since the two weeks to flatten the curve lockdown. And four months and one week since it was revealed that Hunter Biden used the N word and still the mainstream media have not reported on it. And I'm coming to you live and in person from Los Angeles, California. And Phelan, where are you? I'm in uh, Belgrade, uh, uh, Serbia, uh, pre prepping for the Hunter Biden movie, which was funded by many of the people listening to this podcast. Um, it's, I just arrived last night. Luckily, I don't have much uh, jet lag at the moment, but I have a very, very, very juicy story that I haven't even told you yet. You will not believe who was in the hotel one month ago. And we're going to tell that later on in the show, but it is <laughs> a shocking piece of news. Who stayed in this hotel one month ago? Oh, I'm dying to know that because I don't know either. Um, and other what else is on the show, Anne? Well, in, in other things, in other things on the show, how many zeros are in 2.3 billion? This is a big question that we we're asking. And guess what the FX series impeachment about the affair between Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, the intern. Guess what they leave out of the series? We'll bring that to you. Um, over a century ago, Sir Edward Grey looked down Pall Mall just before his country declared war in Germany, ushering in the First World War. And uh, he said to his friends, John Alfred Spencer, he said, the lamps are going out all over Europe. We shall not see them again in our lifetime. Uh, well, the light, lamps are going out all over Europe again, but this time it's not because of external war. It's because of the war on climate change. So we're going to bring you the story from Europe and how they're facing Texas-style blackouts this winter for the same reason. So we'll, we'll come to that later. And... They told you there's going to be no death panels. Of course, there's going to be no death panels. How dare you suggest there's going to be death panels? But it looks like there's going to be death panels. We'll be talking about that as well. And uh, crazy California. Yeah, they, uh, basically they, they're determined to push. I think after Governor Grusom won his recall election, they're determined to push people out and uh, just watch how they do it. Uh, and we remember our very dear friend, uh, Basil Hoffman, the actor who died recently, uh, he was a great help to us in a number of projects. A great actor. You, you, he's one of those actors you don't know his name, but you know you've seen him in everything. So we'll remember the late great Basil Hoffman today. And we have, and we have some really lovely messages from some of you listeners and viewers um, that we're going to bring to you at the end of the show. So we're really grateful, and please do always remember to rate the show and to write your comments. But Phelan, you are in Belgrade. Let's start there. What's it like? It's very East European, actually, and it's very Ukrainian, Lithuanian, uh, perfect place to make a, a movie about Hunter Biden and his Eastern European adventures and his adventures in corruption and his adventures in, in debauchery. Uh, so it's, it's wonderful. I arrived less than 24 hours ago and I'm staying in a hotel in the center of Belgrade. And as we were checking in, the lady asked us, oh, what are you doing? And somebody said, we're making a movie about Hunter Biden. And she said, oh, Hunter Biden, the, the president's son. And we went, yes. And she goes, he was here in this hotel a month ago. No way. Oh, my God. Are you serious? I am. I am 100 percent serious. What was he doing in Belgrade a month ago? In our hotel. In our hotel. This is super creepy. Was, and he, very was, he, planting, was he planting cameras? Was he was he here telling this the telling the authorities, 
don't give them any permits. So if we suddenly find we're not we're not allowed to film a dog walking across the street, we all know it was Hunter was here. Uh, maybe he was getting inspiration for his art. Maybe they lost. They lost. Did you see the kind of? Maybe he was providing the art for the hotel. Because if you look at this picture behind me, actually, uh, funny. I, I was looking at that. I was looking at that, thinking that has a very, very Hunter Biden esque look. And I, you remember when we talked about his art and the, the, the fact that he's doing all this art that's going to be that he's going to charge a half million dollars for. Someone had said one of the art critics in New York had said that his art was very reminiscent of kind of you know the kind of thing that you'd get in a cafe or in a hotel, a kind of stuff that you buy you know a thousand of the same picture that goes into every hotel room. And that one there that you have in the corner of the room, there, film looks like early early Biden, I would say. Early Biden. Well, maybe he was here supplying them with the hotel art, but he stayed in this hotel one month ago. That is crazy. That's crazy. That is crazy. That's that is kind crazy. of crazy and kind of kind of creepy and kind of weird, by the way. Um, I'm going to inquire more. I'm going to sidle up to some barmen and 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 that and find out what the story is. Because what the heck was he doing in Belgrade? And and I, did they tell you? Did know. they mention? Did they say how long he stayed for? No, it wasn't me. They told it was just someone that told me. So I'm going to. Th this story will grow and grow. Uh, but no. this morning I met with uh, local producers, our location manager, our casting director, the line producers. Um, and they're all great, great people. Um, they're all very professional. They're all very concerned about, you know, budgets and keeping. And Robert Davi, the director, is here as well. We're all working very hard to tell the truth about Hunter Biden and about the Biden family corruption. And uh, we're, we're choosing uh, people, casting. Uh, we've got some very interesting casting choices coming up. Uh, we've got some, you know, we, we were saying we're trying to find places that look like the Shadow Marmont in L.A. We, got, we have a brilliant place that is the spinning image of the vice president's office. Remember, we were in the vice president's yes. office in the Eisenhower room. And they said to me, I said, I'd be, uh, you know, says, we're, we're looking for somewhere with the vice president's office. And I said, well, actually, I've actually been in the vice president's office. Have you? And they showed me that. I go, that is exactly like, of course, Vice, if you remember the vice president's office, is lots of wood and old fashioned. So there's lots of places in Serbia with that old fashioned wood look, big cavernous uh, place. So that's so we're, we're having a lot of fun choosing that. We're choosing local casting. We're flying people in from London. So I just want to assure people who have funded this movie that it's it's full steam ahead. It's very scary, very nervous. I really appreciate the trust that they have put in us. Uh, uh, let me tell you, we've got Milos and Milan and Mia and all and all these people who are, you know, as I said to, to one of the other producers, they're old enough uh, to be experienced, but young enough to be enthusiastic. Uh, they're all about the same age. So, you know, they're all in their 30s. So they're, they've done it before many times, but they're still keen to do a good job. And uh, the, the, your money couldn't be in better hands and uh, I think we're going to have a great movie. So, uh, you know, again, it's it's the story of my hunt, my son, Hunter. Most of you who list, are listening to this podcast have, have funded it. If uh, This is getting real now. We're spending real money. These are real adult people who, who are getting paid adult salaries because they're worth it. And uh, so please, if, you ha if you've donated, thank you. Please think about donating again. If you haven't donated, please think about donating for the first time. We're going to have a lot of fun, uh, you know, they're very excited about the comedy in it, about the humor in it, um, and they just want to do the best job they can. And uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's going to be, I'll be honest, it's very scary because you realize, you know, we only have four weeks of shooting time with three weeks, three to four weeks of preparation, 
four weeks of shooting time. So there's not much room for error. So uh, we'll, I'll be keeping you, uh, don't forget to watch our Twitter feed, to watch our Instagram page, our Facebook, uh, and I'll be basically doing daily dispatches uh, of, of the shoot here and of the pre-production. So, uh, and don't forget, ask questions. So if you have any questions, ask questions in the YouTube comment section, we read them all. Uh, ask questions in the podcast comment section, we read them all too. And uh, if you please go to mysonhunter.com, give what you can. Fantastic. And what's the weather like? Well, funny, the room, it was freezing in the room, right? Really cold in the room. And I, I just went out for dinner there and uh, went out with my, my Gansey on and my coat on. And I went out and of course, it was a beautiful kind of late summer evening, quite warm actually. Uh, so the room was deceptive. So it's quite warm, uh, quite nice. Um, and uh, they, now the weather's going to change in a few days and it's going to get rainy and a bit colder. But at the moment now, it's, it's very nice. I really hope that Hunter Biden hasn't interfered with the AC in your room, Phelan, because you, you've talked about it being really cold a few times. So um, put on your nice Gansies there. And for Americans who don't know what a Gansey is, I think Americans call that a sweater. Is that right, mm -hmm. Magda? They call it a sweater, don't they? Something like that anyway. So we have a question. There's a great story, by the way. I don't know. If, and I sent it to you, Phil, I'm in Belgrade. Great story in the New York Times this past weekend. Um, and I want to start by asking the question, how many zeros do you think there are in 2.3 billion? Um, and, you know, a lot of a lot of people are talking at the moment about trillions and billions. So I actually thought I'd spend a bit of time thinking about that. But this story begs the question, how many zeros are there in 2.3 billion? The answer is mm. there are eight zeros. And by the way, 2.3 billion is how much the New York, New York City spends on homeless housing annually. And I just did a few back of the envelope calculations. Apparently, according to New York authorities, there's 77,000 homeless people in New York City. And so mm -hmm. they are spending $29,870 per person or 59,740 for a couple who are homeless. And that's just for the housing. Try and imagine that you add into that the cost of food and counselors and all the other stuff that people need and clothes yeah. and all that kind of thing. This is a very big ticket item. And basically, the New York Times have done, I mean, sometimes this is it, you know, we read the New York Times, so you don't have to. They do these deep dive investigations that are pretty good. And this one is pretty good. And we're showing a photograph of this gentleman. And this, this gentleman here, and his name is Jack A. Brown III. This gentleman mm -hmm. who is working in the housing, trying to help with the housing crisis. You know, he's just a good guy. He's just in there trying guy. to help just trying to help with the housing crisis. And he's making over a million dollars for his trouble. And what I think is fabulous about this story- But there's more, as they say in those late night infomercials, but there's more. There's more. So the first thing is, you know, you'd think when you had somebody, you were gonna hire someone, for example, to be helping with, to, to solve the homeless crisis. You might look into their background a little bit, right? So it, it appears from what the New York Times have discovered that they didn't really look into the background of this Mr. Brown. So Mr. Brown was a former employer of, private, of, of a private pri prison company, which accused him of fraud. He then started a not-for-profit to run a halfway house, and a federal audit found that it failed to deliver key services. Another review of Mr. Brown had shown a disturbing pattern of ethical violations. But despite all of that, mm -hmm. since 2017, New York City has awarded Mr. Brown more than 
$352 million to his not-for-profit to operate shelters. And this is where that not-for-profit um, you know, designation, you know, it, it, yeah. you can see how it gets its, gets tarnished. A man could make a lot of savings out of 350 million from a not-for-profit. I mean, yes. and, 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 and there's more, and there's more. And, and his more. not-for-profit has channeled contracts worth at least 32 million into for-profit companies tied to Mr. Brown, allowing him to earn Where's more it? than a million a year. So Sorry? hold on. So he, he earns a million a year, and then he his his his, his government funded not for profit hires companies that he owns as well for another yes. thirty two million. It's a great and, and there's more. Keep going. <laughs> and millions more have gone to real estate companies in which he has an ownership interest. And there's more. He's also hired his family members and given employees perks such as gym memberships and cars. And he's not alone. And basically, the New York Times article highlights some other individuals who have made a ton of money in the not-for-profit homeless poverty business, right? But according, you know, according to New York Times, under the cloak of charity, executives at not-for-profits have collected large salaries, spent their budgets on companies that they or their families controlled, and installed relatives in high-paying jobs. This is basically this is basically what the mafia do. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, funny. So before the before the recall election, I was at a high level Hollywood meeting that was actually a uh, was addressed by a senior member of the Larry Elder campaign, and uh, you know, and basically a lot of a lot of the people there were saying, you know, there's two things that really affected the Hollywood community. I think was where if you were if you were working for a company for a certain length of time, you had to be declared as, a, as an employer and it was destroying their, their, their freelance business. But also uh, the homeless thing and the guy representing Larry Elder campaign said, oh, you know, Larry Elder, yeah, he's really caring. He's, he's, going, to, he's going to say, take the money away from the, the state government and give it to not-for-profits to sort out the homeless thing. And I just turned on this guy and said, look, that's just madness. Do you not know that there's a massive uh, homeless industrial complex making a fortune out of this? Mm-hmm. You know, they're raising billions in bonds. And, you know, and not only are there, there are people profiting from this, and this is the proof of it, but, you know, when you spend three billion on something, you get more of it, not less of it. And that's since they've been spending these billions, they've encouraged homelessness rather than discouraged it. So here is the evidence of what I said. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think it's even conservatives don't get the homeless uh, that, that, it's, that it's a self-perpetuating um, idea that, that when you spend a lot of money, when you provide billions of dollars of services, you attract people to those services and, and it's a self-perpetuating. And then these people are able to siphon off 30 or 40 million for them and their families. It's a, it's a and great I think, little racket. I, and, and there's I no, think, no pressure on that, any of them. No pressure on any of them to end homelessness. In well, fact, I was going to say great- that was kind of the that was kind of the point I was going to make. You always make that point that you know if you set up a, you know in you know a not for profit for something to like for ho- with, to deal with the homeless, the first agenda should item be, should be we need to solve the whole we need to put ourselves out of business. You know the whole idea of the of the homeless charity yes. should be to not need a homeless charity. However, I think as you say they're self perpetuating, and the last the very last thing these people want to do is solve the homeless problem because. 
that have put them all out of business, you know. And, yeah, you know, yeah. Mr. Brown, they're saying that he spent, for example, you know, in one year alone, he spent $460,000 on gym memberships for his employees, you know. Um, and he, I mean, very smart, by the way, along with partners, he owns two companies that have rented buildings to core. That's the name of his not-for-profit. And his mother, sister, aunt, and niece have all worked at the not-for-profit, in addition to his brother, who collects a six-figure salary, you know. So it's a really yeah. nice business. It's a nice family business he's got, all, got going on there. Um, but I love this. The kicker of the story, I just love this. This is the last part of this that I just, I just, I just love this so much. And despite years of concern, Mr. Brown's not-for-profit has received $104 million in city funding for homelessness this year alone. It's one of the largest payments to CORE yet. So these questions about Mr. Brown have been going on forever, but it hasn't stopped the city doling out $104 million this year alone. So wow. very scary, you know, very scary sort of stuff, you know. And by the way, this just before I finish that story about that New York Times story, um, it brings up that we got a lovely letter during the week from Kathy Claus, our friend Kathy Claus, a member from New Mexico, who they've moved mm -hmm. to Texas to Lubbock. And we have a we have an open invitation to go and visit them. But she wrote and she had a book from Magda. Actually, she talked about a book that she wants Magda to give to mm -hmm. uh, Magda's son. And it's called How Much is a Million? Great idea, by the way. And it's written for children, for primary school audiences. And basically and by the way, she thinks a copy of the same book should be sent to every member of Congress. Mm -hmm. And it was it was actually like me yesterday when I was reading this New York Times story. I was thinking, how do I because I was trying to make the calculations on the on the calculator. And I was thinking, I don't know how many noughts are in a trillion. I mean, how many noughts are in a trillion? Billion. Right. So yeah. anyway, this book is called How Much is a Million? And it's written for primary school children. And it details how much is a million. For example, if you count by ones to a million and take two seconds to say to say each number, it would take you 23 days of counting continuously to get to a million. And while we're at it, then I decided I would add this because obviously there's a lot of people talking about trillions at the moment. There's an awful lot of conversation about trillions going on. And I think the people in Congress have as little <coughs> knowledge of how much a trillion is as most people. So I've looked mm -hmm. up so that you wouldn't have to how many zeros are in a trillion. There are 12 zeros in a trillion. How many millions are in a trillion? There is a million millions in a trillion or a thousand billions. There's a thousand billions in a trillion. Wow. So, and if one million in a hundred dollar bill stacks up to 40 inches, this is more from Kathy Claus, that's 3.3 feet, kind of underwhelming, you know. Then at one billion is 40,000 inches. That's half, a little bit more than a half a mile. Much more impressive. Well, one trillion in hundred dollars bills is 40 million inches which is 631 miles so one trillion in hundred dollar bills is 631 miles so they wow. want to do that by three and a half um, and i think they just you know they have no idea what those numbers represent and no. many of us don't no, no, it's just it's, it's to pay off people like mr brown and that and what mr brown does is he makes 30 or 40 million from that and then he gives the cuomo mayoral campaign a million of that so, so it's a handy way of funding their political ambitions correct by giving people large sums of money so what else is on and the by show the way, I just and just on that very point Phelan, that, that that's something that the new york times pointed out that mr brown in fact had in the in the past 
been guilty of lobbying illegally lobbying with money that he had received from from these various um, of course, homeless of course. efforts so it's a homework. the next the next story so before you left Phelan now I'm on my lonesome and I can't do any of the binge watching we normally do together so and I'm I'm holding off to binge until I see you again but before no, no, I left no, no. Okay. before I left we were watching impeachment the the FX drama so that our lovely listeners and watchers wouldn't have to and it is the story of the Monica Monica Lewinsky Bill Clinton story um, yes. and what's really interesting so how many episodes do you think we've watched film would you say three or four now four now. three or four now so just have a think about it everyone listening and thinking about this what thing have they left out so far so we have an awful lot of stuff about Linda Tripp about uh, what's her name, Kathleen Wiley, and the other lady, the girl uh, from Arkansas. Ann Coulter, Paula Jones, George Conway is evil, Drudge is evil. Uh, but Lots of stuff. One thing we've missing is... We've seen no sex at all between Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. Not, not even, even a hint of not it. Not even a hint of it. And my question is, I mean, I can't... At this point, I feel like they've, uh, they're not going to show anything. Because it's we're so far in, we've watched so many episodes, and there's not a notion of them showing anything. But yeah. who knows? But I just thought if the if the tables were turned and this and was, was a Trump. story about Trump, if it was a storm. It's a stormy Daniel story. You'd have you'd have Trump and sex from the beginning to end. But they, you know, so it's it's kind of weird. It's kind of it's Hamlet without the prince. I mean, it's so weird. I mean, this is Hollywood. It's not like and this is cable drama so this should be like you know there's, there's more sex in an episode of the sopranos you know what i mean that's like you know this is what cable was set up for was to tell these sexual stories and not be and it says at the beginning warning mature adults you know do you know war, you know only for ch- not for children but for mature content discussed or whatever and there's no mature content in it at all right some talk about it but really it's uh and it's and bill clinton is this strangely inactive president in, me- in every way you know uh, he's kind of like a victim uh, and the evil people are linda trip and the republicans you know and it's basically it's having it it's basically a b it'll give them a coverage to do to do a couple of hit jobs on trump uh, but it also it it makes clinton the victim of uh you know basically people who are out to get him by any means necessary so yeah. it's another great propaganda job um from the, uh, by hollywood hollywood so yeah so the lights, I'm in Europe, and uh, as I said, over a century ago, uh, Sir Edward Grey, you know, he knew the, the cabinet was going to declare war in Germany tomorrow, the First World War, and he turned to his friend, John Alfred Spenda, and he said, the lamps are going out all over Europe, we shall not see them lit again in our lifetime, you know, and by the way, the lamps did go out, and we had the First World War, which was unprecedented in its destruction, and now... Funny enough, the lamps are going out all over Europe again, uh, but it's not—it's not the enemy outside that's it's making them out. And I'm just going to put this up here, and you can see it on the screen. Uh, you know, there is a Google search about electricity blackouts in Ireland, right? So Ireland is facing blackouts this winter and in winters to come. And you know, it gets cold in Ireland. You know, it gets wet, it gets damp in Ireland. This is going to kill people. Now you have the minister for energy and climate change saying Ireland is facing a very tight few years for energy supply. You've got all these newspaper reports uh, saying, oh, Ireland's going to face blackouts and, and he's going to say, and the minister says we're going to have to regulate demand. In other words, you're going to be told that you're no electricity between the hours of 
you know, 12 and four this evening, you know, uh, or so, but what none of them will say is that Ireland has been one of the most enthusiastic embracers of climate change. So Ireland has closed several uh, peat producing uh, electricity supply station. Ireland has said it will not frack for natural gas. Ireland has, has banned all exploration of fossil fuels in its own waters and in Ireland. So Ireland has created this shortage of fossil fuels in the war of climate change. The minister, Eamon Ryan, you know, they believe the planet must be saved, we use less energy. This is actually a manufactured crisis. And I don't yeah. mean that in the conspiracy theory way. I mean, this is, they've decided we, that Ireland should do without fossil fuels. And just like Texas, by, by the way, oh, and actually, we should play that little tape there. Here's the deputy prime minister of Ireland, Leo Varadkar, uh, explaining why uh, why uh, there may be blackouts this winter. Let's hear that tape, man. Um, there is a short-term immediate risk to the supply of electricity, um, and that is uh, being caused by a number of factors, including those two power stations that are closed, um, wind not blowing as much as was anticipated, um, uh, and also problems with the interconnector between uh, the UK uh, and, uh, and Ireland. Um, there have been a number of system alerts which indicate an elevated level of risk, uh, including two in early September. However, it's important to say that these alerts did not impact on the electricity supply to any customers, um, and this risk will reduce with the upcoming return uh, to operation of the two major gas-fired power stations, and that's due to happen in October and November. So you heard him say, because the wind isn't, won't blow as much as we want, or would like it to. And it's like, what kind of, what, what kind of, the pagans used to pray to the God of wind and the God of sun for the weather to be good. You know, we've moved on a bit from that, Leo, haven't we? But no, so this is Texas all over again, and you know Texas. Mm -hmm. Texas, in a bit to be seen to be modern and progressive, Texas has, that has more oil than Saudi Arabia, ended up with 22% of its, of its electricity being produced by, by renewables, wind and solar. Then the wind stopped blowing and the sun stopped shining and there were blackouts all over Texas. People, and people died. And people died. And people died. Young I mean, people so died. You're telling this story about Ireland and people, you know, maybe, you know, and it's, it's, it's basically, it's, as you say, it's exactly right. It's exactly Texas all over again. And if this can happen in Texas, it can yeah. just happen anywhere. And people died, a child died in, in, in Texas, completely yeah. unnecessarily because of this madness, because the people making decisions, you know, basically don't know what a trillion is. They don't know what a billion is. They don't know what, how energy is produced. They don't, they don't know, know where electricity comes from. And here, they don't know where electricity have... comes from. They love the electricity, but they don't know where it comes from. Exactly. So that all of this talk about renewables, renewables form such a tiny percentage of, of, the, of what we need. They can't yeah. be relied on. If you push that to the limits that they did in Texas, you're going to have what happened in Texas happening all over the place. And as you say, particularly in places where we get bad, bad weather, this is really bad news. This is and then, scary and dangerous. And then this year, at this year's Conservative conference, we have Boris Johnson announcing that all of the UK's electricity will come from green sources by 2035. So the madness is spreading across Europe, just like you know the war. I'm funny. I'm sitting here in Serbia and Belgrade, and the, my, our producer he was showing me uh, where uh, you know Belgrade is where Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated. There are mass contagions that go through society, mass convulsions, and we seem to be in the middle of this mass convulsion to go green. 
for the good of the people, for the good of the planet, irrespective of the actual consequences for the people or the planet. So, Do you know what it reminds me of, Phelan? It's kind of like, um, and it's very similar when you think about it, to the response to COVID. So the response to the pandemic, very, very big decisions were made without any cost-benefit analysis. They're doing the very same thing with climate, where, as you just quoted from Boris Johnson, talking complete nonsense about being basically carbon yeah. neutral by whatever date it is, without doing the cost-benefit analysis, without doing the, the hard work that says, like, how can this yeah. be possibly done? Because, you know, we and we've spoken before on the program about this. We've talked, you know, to Robert Bryce about this. You would literally have to cover an area the size of Texas with solar panels to get into yes. this kind of green, you know, this kind of madness. That this cost-benefit analysis has not been done. This is the kind of, the, these leaders are children. Greta, children. Thunberg, Greta Thunberg is more grown yeah. up than some of them, you know? Yeah, no, and, and they're not, this idea that we're, because we're so modern, we're, we're immune from the madness of our times. We're not, we're just as vulnerable. And in fact, because we're educated, I think it leaves us more vulnerable to the madness of our times because we're more confident. Uh, we have no confidence in, in our civilization or in our past or in our history, but we've got lots of confidence in our present ability to be smart, we think. We think we're, we're, we're not like the old days where they were prone to whimsies and fancies, but this is as superstitious. This is, this is as superstitious as our ancestors who, who worship the wind and worship the sun. And, you know, talking about cost-benefit analysis, I, I want to move on then to, to Alaska. You know, remember, remember during Obama, the Obamacare debate and that, that woman was, was pilloried for saying there are going to be death panels. And they were going, no, there's going to be no death panels. And John Stewart had her on denying there was no death. You know, well, here's the headline in the New York Times. In Alaska's COVID crisis, doctors must decide who lives and who dies. Amid the nation's worst outbreak, patients are trapped in remote communities and doctors are prioritizing care based on who is most likely to survive. So that, to me, is a death panel. You know, uh, yeah. sorry, there aren't resources. This government doesn't have resources. If there was private medicine for these people, the insurance would pay for it and they would, you know, there wouldn't be a death panel. But no, the government, which has limited resources and, or is choosing not to spend the resources on what well, they want to give Mr. Brown in New York 350 million to spend on his relatives. But they won't. Uh, there's no money for people in remote parts of uh, Alaska. And so there are death panels at work. Good luck to you. Unbelievable. So, and the other thing we wanted to bring to everyone's notice was that our friend, our dear friend, Basil Hoffman, died this past week. Um, huge, massive, massive career. Very well known as a kind of, you know, as a character actor in everything. Right, Phil? He was in yeah. everything. Hey, listen, he, I'll just listen. He was in Kung Fu, Rockford Files, Sanford and Son, Policewoman, Columbo, Kojak, Mash. And he's worked with film directors from Peter Bogdanovich to... To Ethan Cohen, the Cohen brothers, God help him. He was in all the Predators' men. He was in Close Encounters. He was in a Night Shift. He was in Milagro, Beanfield War. Uh, he was in, you know, he was in ordinary, ordinary people. people. I mean, I was like, yeah. he was in all the president's men. He it, was in. He's one of those actors. Yeah. You, you, you see him in everything, but you don't know his name. Well, his name was Basil Hoffman. He was a great friend of ours and a great conservative too, but he kept that quiet, of course. Uh, he was brilliant. He helped me with my, he's a, he was a teacher as well. Uh, he, and had written, had written several acting textbooks, um, one cold reading and how to be good at it and acting how to be good at it. And that foreword written by the great, the great genius, Sidney Pollock. So he, he was he was a teacher, a mentor. Uh, he helped me with the narration of our film, Frag Nation, uh, with, with, with that, he, you know, 
he was my voice coach, you could call it. And he directed, if you go and look at our Ferguson play that's on YouTube, we'll put the link up. So we took the transcripts of the Ferguson play and uh, boiled them down into a play. And it was on in, in, in L.A. And uh, nine in of the York. actors walked out during rehearsal because they couldn't handle the truth. And we decided to, it wasn't so much a play, it was more of a reading. We got, we got actors into to read it. Uh, it's 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 a stunning piece of YouTube, right? And we've spent no money on marketing. It's there on YouTube. I just checked. It's got 165,000 views on YouTube. And that's amazing, you know, given that it's, a, it's an hour and 20 minutes. It's a play. Some of this can be quite weird. But the content and the acting is so wonderful because Boris or Basil was, was, was directing them. And Basil was a great director. I mean, We're I remember gonna... him there. Yeah, I mean, he was so great at this. And by, and by the way, let's just show a, a small clip from the Ferguson from YouTube, because um, people really sh ought to go over there and watch the whole thing. Um, this yeah. is, direct as Philip says, directed by, by Basil Hoffman. Oh, Darren is a very easygoing individual. Always has a smile on his face. Doesn't go trying to start trouble or look for trouble. Does a good job. I have very little supervisory hours dedicated to Darren Wilson. Trying to chase this guy down and take him into custody to deciding just to shoot him because. So I mean, Darren is a good officer. Hundred sixty-five thousand views, four hundred and fifty comments, which is a lot. You know, uh, if, you, if anyone saw the uh, the story about Aussie Media this week, uh, the uh, the the media company that imploded because uh, it was a fraud, or it certainly it was a, it was a house of cards. Uh, one of the reasons they knew that it was a house of cards was because all these videos had hundreds of thousands of views and one comment or no comments, and you know, four hundred fifty comments is a lot of comments for 165,000 views, but that shows you how compelling. I remember uh, the, the the composer who, made, who did the music for it. I said, I wrote to him, I said, are you sure this is ripping? You know, so I, I I know the play inside out. He's, I said, I've seen, I've seen it hundreds of, dozens of times with all the views. I, I talked to the composer, he goes, are you kidding me? He says, I'm watching it sometimes and I forget I ha I'm actually supposed to be doing the music. I'm so compelled by the story. So, you know, so it is a compelling, please go uh, watch it, fergusonplay.com, I think is the, uh, as a YouTube uh, place, but it's well worth watching. And uh, Basil Hoffman directed it. Uh, thank you, Basil. Rest in peace. And uh, you were a great friend and a great ally and a great conservative. Thanks, Basil. Yeah, much missed. Um, and Crazy California film. I mean, you know, I, I think you and I have both agreed, like basically they want us to leave. They want people mm -hmm. to leave. The latest craziness um, is going to be voted on, but we we're, we know the result already. We yeah. voted on this week, and the vote is that in the U, uh, that in Los Angeles City, in the in the Los Angeles City proper, you will have to show a passport, a vaccine passport, to go basically anywhere except the grocery store. So that's yes, the theater, but also, the cinema, but also yeah, yeah, anywhere. But no, I mean also then in the state of California children are going to be forcibly vaccinated. Um, and uh, But teachers aren't going to be forcibly vaccinated. And pr you know, prison guards aren't going to be forcibly because they're, they're giving donations to the Newsom campaign and to the Newsom political fund. So he's going to force you to uh, vaccinate your child. 
but the teacher teaching them is not going to be forced to be vaccinated. So this is not about health. And by the way, we need to stop calling this a vaccine. Vaccine polio stops you. Polio vaccination stops you from getting polio. <laughs> the uh, the yes. Chinese coronavirus vaccination apparently does not stop you from getting it. You know, uh, may stop you from getting it. Uh, harmfully but you know we need to stop calling it a vaccination it's a it's a it's a palliative you know yeah. it's a it's a it's a treatment uh and it seems to be a good treatment by the way uh, and especially for people who are vulnerable but let's let we should start calling things what they are but but almost i almost don't want to talk about the vaccination as a good thing or a bad thing but forcing you, your child to be vaccinated but not forcing the teacher to be vaccinated. That shows it's not about science. Yeah. It's not about medicine. No, these it's are about, bad people. It's, about driving, are, yeah. it's about driving people like us out of California. Yes. And you know what? They're going to be successful. They are going to be successful. What else? Yes. And maybe people should write in and say where we should go in America if we were to leave. We'd be very interested in towns and cities that you would recommend. So let us know what part of the paradise please, of America you would please recommend do. to us. And we got an awful lot of lovely, lovely messages um, from our show last week, um, which inspired uh, this next message. So you remember last week we talked about Heidi Crowther. Um, who has an extra chromosome, who has Down syndrome, and who went to the High Court in Britain to argue her case um, to stop the discrimination that exists in the United Kingdom, where in the United Kingdom, abortion is outlawed after six months, after 24 weeks, except for, and they make an exception for people with Down syndrome, people with cleft palate or with a club foot. It is un believable it is an unbelievable law it is barbaric and in fact you can be aborted during when the baby is in the birth canal if that diagnosis exists of cleft palate so, club yeah. foot or down syndrome and she um, was trying to get this outlawed right yeah yeah so she was going to so she was trying to get this st madness stopped and this is so it's like the 1950s or the child is club i mean the surgery that exists nowadays. Well, exactly. Well, that's exactly the point, actually, Phelan, because we got an amazing message, actually, on that very, yes. very point from uh, Christina. And we're just using her first name. And then she was very kind to let us share this story because I just think it's amazing. She, she wrote, I wanted to send you a note to thank you for advocating for all Down syndrome, cleft palate and club foot babies. Enclosed is a picture of my 10 year old daughter, Averly, with her club foot before all of her casts, braces and surgeries. And one of her now on her horse, Dolly Parton. I love that. The horse is called Dolly Parton. I enjoy your so show very much and appreciate all that you and Phelan do. And then um, you, you were saying, Anne, there was a, BBC, a story in the BBC as well about people uh, who had these types of pregnancies. And there, one couple was phoned 17 times, pressurized into having an abortion uh, with their child. I mean, this is the way that they want. They do not want these. This is eugenics. They do not want these children to exist for the crime of having a club foot or the crime crime of having a cleft palate. It's we'll it put, is bizarre. Yeah, that it, BBC like, story, that BBC story is extraordinary. We'll put that up actually in the show notes because it, it's a it's a story in the in the in the BBC. And I, I actually think the only reason, again, I say this, and I've said this on Twitter as well this week, the only reason the BBC are covering this story is because of the hero that that Heidi Crowther is, um, who did this amazing work and put in this massive effort. Now she lost, as we said, in the High Court. But she, I think there's a moral victory here because this is, this is offensive to decency. This is offensive to anyone that is decent. 
But um, yeah, we'll put that up in the show notes because the three yeah. stories that they highlight are just horrific. And basically, these three stories highlight the fact that there is um, a very positive, you know, positive effort um, of eugenics going on in the United Kingdom where people are being, you know, bullied, bullied, constantly bullied if they have a diagnosis of either of those three conditions to have um, to have yeah. um, an abortion. Other people wrote, by the way, this week, and I just want to go to a couple of a couple of other ones of those. And please do leave um, us comments or and and rate the podcast. It matter it matters a great deal to us. And this is one who wrote: I continue to enjoy and learn from your weekly podcast. So sorry to hear of Anne's injury. Thank you. I'm wearing my little cast here, my little my little sling here. But I beg you, oh Phelan, this is I, I I kept this specially for you. But I beg you not to proceed with your lawsuit for the sake of your bank account, your mental health, and blood pressure walk away okay um, i i i i i want to tell people we have an update on the lawsuit we're not i have i've just received it right from the city of santa monica the court service as you know and tripped whilst walking into santa monica, monica courthouse to cover a court case we have received a response my crack team of legal advisors is still analyzing the response i.e me and uh, a friend or two um so Next week, I'm going to read you the letter. I'm going to work out. A, I mean, let's just say the, the, the response has been discouraging, but I think it is based on the shakiest and flimsiest of legal grounds. And uh, even some of there are certain friends of mine who are lawyers who I we recently I won't name names, but we recently were uh, at his birthday party and I gave him a, a, even I do say so myself. I gave him a wonderful birthday party, a birthday present, a superb birthday present. Uh, uh, just a the perfect one for him. I also read him the letter from the city of Santa Monica, and he got more joy out of my misery from the city of Santa Monica than he did from the, the birthday present. So, so there have been some unkind friends of mine who are poo-pooing the idea that I will stand athwart history and shout GQs, uh, but I shall, and I shall be victorious, and they, they'll laugh on the other side of their faces then. So uh, we'll give you an update on the lawsuit next week. Uh, so stay tuned for 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 our next trillion installment okay and we're going to go on now because we've come to the end of the show we look forward and you'll notice there's no recipe today because i'm basically operating with the one arm so it makes it all a little bit difficult but um but hopefully i, 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 hopefully I will be better soon yeah. you know i had hoped uh, to get some serbian food and take some photographs but literally i've been in my hotel room and i went out for dinner uh, to an italian restaurant which the crew wanted to go there so I'll be bringing you lots of interesting Serbian food. Uh, I did have some, I mean, the food is pretty tasty, actually. Very, it has a East European feel to it, but it's tasty. And, 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 I'll, and I will be joining Phelan in about three weeks in, in Belgrade when I get a chance to heal a little bit longer rather than get on a plane so, so quickly after, after surgery. So that's all from this week. Thank you so much for writing. Thank you for rating the program and thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. Bye from Los Angeles. And bye from Belgrade. Bye. Bye.